Alright people, welcome back to another episode of the No Limits Podcast and this one is a good one. Now my guest today, Doa, this is a, I was going to say this is an interesting story. I find it interesting, you guys maybe not so much, but let me quickly tell you a little bit about how I first became aware of this remarkable young lady Doa. Now, we both live in the beautiful city of Plymouth. And a couple of years ago, a friend of mine who is the owner of the Plymouth 10K run asked me to start the race. So we went down to the start line on a Sunday morning. I had to climb up a couple of stairs, stand on some dais with a flag. The official race starter sounded the horn. I started waving the flag like crazy and then all these bodies just went running past in front of me like they do um, at the start of these 10Ks, 5Ks, marathons, etc. Now at the back of the pack, as the crowd was starting to thin out a little bit, I saw Doa. She was the only wheelchair athlete in the entire race and, you know, I'd been to a couple of these things before And I'd never seen any adaptive athletes in these races. So that got my attention right away. So I thought, you know, when this is over, I'm going to try and seek her out and I'm going to say hello and, you know, good effort, well done. If you've ever been to one of these things, you know that it's chaos at the end. It's not only the runners, but all their supporters and family and and there's food trucks everywhere. And, you know, it's a bit crazy. It's hard to kind of find people when I never ended up finding her. But then driving around Plymouth, it's a small town. I'd, I'd see her around, um, never really in a position because I'd be driving to to stop and say hello. And then she reached out to me uh, the other week randomly and asked about coming on the podcast, which was great. And it was great for two reasons. First of all, I was going to get to finally meet her. And second of all, one of the biggest headaches with these podcasts is actually getting people <laughs> to agree to come on them. So she did me a massive favor. Now, this is a great episode. I urge you to listen to this episode. And if you have a young daughter, not that that matters, whether it's a son or a daughter, whatever it is, just a, a children, anyone that you think could do with a shot of motivation, get them to listen to this as well, because this young lady has been through a lot. And she's come out the other side and now she is using her experiences and her challenges and the adversity that she's overcame to inspire others. I'm not going to say any more than that. Just stick your earbuds in, put your feet up and sit back and enjoy. Doa, welcome to the No Limits podcast. How are you? Hi Mark, I'm really excited, honoured to be here to actually get to speak to you. I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to these restrictions easing. I'm looking forward to getting back out amongst other people. And as I look out the window now, the sun is shining. It's a little bit cold, but the sun is shining. So I'm looking forward to getting back out into nature, you know, and, and enjoying this beautiful city that we live in, in Plymouth. Now, this is rare because you actually contacted me about this, right? And this is one of the hardest parts, I think, of of podcasts is actually finding guests because you go to like 10 people and maybe one of them will be like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. 
So I've never had anyone reach out to me before. So thank you for saving me a massive amount of work in hunting people down and, and asking them to come on. You've done me a massive favor here. But I'm really excited about this episode. We, we've kind of talked offline and I'm very aware of who you are. I've seen you around Plymouth from time to time. I think I said in, in a Facebook message, the first time I saw you was when I kind of waved the flag at the start line of the Plymouth 10K and you were the only wheelchair athlete that, that was racing that day. And then it's one of those things. It's like, you know, I saw you then and then I'm driving down Royal Parade and there she is again. And I go through town, there you are again. And I, and I saw you loads, but I was never in a position to approach you. I was always driving or, or something where I could come up and say hi. And, you know, and that's a bit weird anyway, I think, isn't it? Just randomly walking up to somebody and saying hi. So it's great to finally connect and to get you on here because I'm really interested in your story. And I think just from, I haven't done a massive amount of research because I think sometimes that can spoil these things but I've scanned through your Facebook and, and Instagram. I think you've got what's going to be a great story that can inspire a lot of people. So most of the work here, unfortunately, is on you. <laughs> um, so, I mean, start where you want to. Wherever your journey began, please just, wherever you're comfortable, we'll start from there, work our way through and, and, and get to where you are today and talk about some of the cool things that, that it is that you actually do now. Amazing. Well, that was a huge intro. I'm trying to like pick at every little point that you said to answer everything that you said. Um, and I think it's the same, Mark. Like I've obviously, who doesn't know who Mark Amrod is? Do you know what I mean? Like I've always um, known you and you, you. I don't like to put other people on a pedestal to inspire me. I like to find it within myself because I think it is genuinely and truly your own Self, who can, you can be your own hero you can write your own story mm -hmm. and I think it's really important to see yourself as your own hero but I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with um seeing other people who inspire you who push you to be a better person and it's truly about surrounding yourself in that environment mm -hmm. so you you definitely are someone you know from from my own home city and, and both of us being in the same place like of course I'd be inspired and and really look up to what you do I mean you're a legend and I'll always say that and I I think you know, I've not had the opportunity to speak to you myself either. You know, you, I, I do remember seeing you the 10K and it's a, a rush and excitement and it was my first mm. first 10K to do. So it's not, you know, you, you don't just stop and be like, oh, hi, like you've got so many nerves. <laughs> so you're yep. like, you just want to get it done. Exactly. Um, and I hear it so many times, you know, I'm in my racing chair or I'm bombing it down embankment and all these people see me and I don't know who sees me because I'm just so focused on my training and um so yeah it's 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 great to know but um I think with my story I think it's well just a little bit about me um my name is Zoe Shea I'm from Plymouth I'm 22 years old and I am a wheelchair athlete to be so specific um wheelchair racer I am a makeup artist a model and now a disability um, rights advocate and I'm so passionate about everything that I do um, from my wheelchair racing to my wheelchair um, disability rights advocacy I think the world really has a very very nar negative narrative that the preconception of, of disability is so 
so negative and we're you know always being labeled as incapable and you know rely you know needing to rely on other people and it's and it's so wrong that narrative really is harmful and that stigma around disability is so harmful and I think we need to get together and as many of us to go out there and to really disrupt the narrative and this is what I call myself I call myself a disruptor of the disability narrative because I'd literally come along and people have these all these expectations and and you know ideas of what they think disability is, is to be and then I completely obliterate all of them and that's what I think we need to do and for, for the change to happen so I've really dedicated my life on I, I don't I, I feel like I was forced into this role because of, of society and it's preconceived notions of me as a woman of colour with a disability and I think I was forced to be in this role because reaching out for jobs uh, in the beauty industry you know I'm forever getting shut down turned away accessibility issues you know living in a society that is made without me in consideration whatsoever and I think that caused me to you know aside from having a complete mental breakdown and just, you know, like find, seeing that the world, I just didn't belong. I didn't see myself represented growing up and it, it really affects you mentally. So there, there was a point where it just piled up and I just completely broke down uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, anything you can think of. And I think in my darkest days is where I had to really, really dig deep really dig deep and get myself out because if I didn't I wouldn't be here so I think that really was a testament to who I am as a person and what I can do to get myself out of such a dark place and I, I did eventually and I think the first thing that I did was to right I can't handle this like I, I cannot be in a in a society that's forever you know not acknowledging my existence so I had to be the representation and I have to be the representation of me and those who need people like me growing up and for the world to know that disability isn't what, what it labels it to be. So yeah, this is, this is who I am, this is where I am and, and this is where I, I plan to continue pushing. Do, do you know what I like about what you're saying there? There's a couple of things I want to unpick there. First of all, you said, you 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 identified this kind of gap right now i i'm 37 i met a lot of people in my life and a lot of people have said things similar for different reasons what what i mean is they've identified a gap whether it be in in business in in our situation in in whatever it is but not many of them actually take action or do anything about it right and that's mm -hmm. the problem but but what you've done is you've taken action Right. And you've seen that and you're like, I'm not just going to sit back and, you know, because I imagine it made you feel terrible seeing that need to be fixed. But you've done it. You know, you're, you're amongst it. And, you know, what you said earlier was you are, you're so passionate about everything you do. And that's the key, I, I think, to anything in life is is passion, you know, for people in our situations, you know, disabled, whatever it is. You could get a job but it might be getting a job for the sake of getting a job, right? That you just don't, you hate, right? But you've, you've 
you've gone and so, you know, like, no, this is what I'm passionate about. You know, this is what I want to do. I want to be an athlete, a makeup artist. I want to be an advocate and you've done it and you're making difference and you're making change. And that's the difference that makes a difference, right? It's the easiest thing in the world and it's common sense, but taking action. That's the big difference where that's usually where a lot of people stop. They, they'll rant and rave that we need to change this. We need to change that. And then they don't do anything. So, you know, hats off to you for, for doing it and, and taking action, taking the stand and positively moving, moving things forward, you know, not just for yourself, but it's going to have a ripple effect and, and help a lot of people. Now, you mentioned, I picked up when you were talking, you said something about growing up, right? So I don't fully know your story. Can I assume by you saying that you, you were born as a wheelchair user? Or did you maybe yeah. have an incident? Okay. Can we talk about that a little? Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of people often are, did you have an accident? Were you able-bodied and then you became disabled? No, I was actually born with a spinal condition called spina bifida. And it is the incomplete development of the spinal cord. Um, and that has left me with, you know, very patchy sensations in, uh, in my legs. And then my feet, completely no sensation, no movement. Um, so I don't have the ability to walk unaided so that the best I can do would be on crutches um and yeah that's uh yeah it's just it's just put me in a wheelchair really um I think I spent my childhood in a wheel no on crutches and that was I really clung on to that because that was my only part of normality and it was the only thing that made me feel like everyone else so as a kid you know you don't want to be different you don't understand it and you just want to be like everyone else and I really really you know fought so hard throughout all the pain especially when you get older you start to put on weight and obviously leading up to my depressive state and stuff I did put on weight a lot of weight and when you're on crutches it becomes difficult I was getting blisters on my hands and I you know the embarrassment of falling and tripping all the time in school in the rain and I sacrificed and went through all of that purely through that all that pain just so I don't look disabled and I, I mean, I looked different as it was like there was a limp that I had to my walking that I completely hated and it made me so insecure. But to me, that dealing with that was better than to sit down and, and admit and, and surrender to my disability. So I did all I could to, to be able to walk. And obviously, as you get older, you, you know, a lot of it, Mark, is, as you would, I'm sure, understand, is internalised ableism in yourself, you know? And it was really, really within me, hence it being internalised ableism. And it was me just not wanting to, you know, fit the, the mould of disability. And I, I did all I can to, to try and fight and get away from it. And as you get older, like I said, you put on the weight, it becomes difficult and more difficult. And then you start to... You mature and you think, mm, come on, Doa, like, are you really going to live your life, tr you know, going through the, the struggle of, of being on these crutches? Or do you want to save yourself the hassle, get over it, just get in a wheelchair and, and eventually adapt and, and just become confident? And honestly, it, it did take me a while. I think I, I got in a wheelchair at 12 years old and, you know, it was hard and then as soon as I got in there you know 
I started to see the benefits. I, there was so much more confidence. I wasn't so aware of, look, look at people, they're looking at how I walk, the way my leg was limping. And I would, I'd just be able to get in my chair and I would just push. And, and I could overtake people. I could, I could be in my own little zone, my element. And that, you know, I started to find the, the confidence in that. And it just became a part of me. And I think I just grew into my wheelchair. And it's now something that I is a part of my life it's who I am but it doesn't define me at the same time um it's given me the independence the self-confidence the self-esteem and yeah it's it's become something so huge a part of my life and I'm grateful to have found something that has brought confidence out in me yeah I think a lot of um able people able-bodied people don't get this i explain this to my wife a lot like when it comes to walking around when i'm on prosthetics and it i imagine it was the same for you yeah. i think a lot of able body people take walking for granted like how you don't have to think about it it takes minimal yeah. energy yeah. you know i think back to when i had legs and i used to go out drinking and i could walk home drunk just on autopilot right but now, yep. and I think we're very similar, is that it's effort. It's a lot of work. Like if I go walking through city centre, I have to look at the camber of the pavement. Are the pavement tiles cracked? Yeah. Are there, is there a crazy person like yeah. texting, walking on their phone with a baby going to run me over? And it takes a lot of mental energy and physical mm -hmm. energy just to go and do the simple things that before you didn't have to think of. Yeah. Jump out the car, run into the shop, grab a can of Coke kind of that stuff that you, you avoid that kind of stuff at yeah. times you're like oh i'm too tired i can't be bothered you know so i i get what you're saying like we went to disneyland once and i'm telling you now it was a, it was like me running a marathon every day and so when you're saying about jumping in your wheelchair i get it you can switch your brain off because you don't have to worry yeah. about tripping or falling no. or blisters on your hands as no. not in the same way you would have with crutches i'm sure you get some discomfort from using the wheels but yeah, and then yeah. and it's so much more enjoyable, isn't it? Where yeah. you can just I, I do, I, I worry about tripping and falling all the time and you just mentally so people try having a conversation with you and you're like, look, dude, I can't talk. I'm I'm so exactly. like tuned in right now on walking yeah. and concentrating. I can't speak to you. Leave me alone. Shush. I have to yeah. stop. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I totally yeah. get that. But one of the one of the things and, and I always think about this, and I have so much respect for for people in your situation is is my childhood was normal i didn't get injured till i was 24 years old right so i you know and school is rough enough as it is you know what i mean without a disability or, or being different in any way shape or form so i was very fortunate and then on top of that i was lucky enough to be able to go into the career i wanted to go into because i was able-bodied so and I always think about this and I, and I talk to my kids about this and, you know, growing up with a disability, I think must be so much harder to, to go through, you know, you go from a child through school, you know, puberty, all that fun stuff to adulthood, mm -hmm. to your career mm -hmm. path. You know, what were some of the, if you don't mind talking about it, what were the, some of the most difficult parts of that, you know, just growing up? You know what before before we say go into that mark i just wanted to say like see this is this is the opposite like opinions that we have because respect would be like such a small word to use that i have for people like yourself and i've always said this because 
like I've grown up with my disability I've had I've had no choice but to adapt and yes it's been difficult and there's been so much trauma tragedy so much into it throughout from being a kid and a lot of people go like what a shame why does have why does a little kid have to go through that because they've born with their disability whereas people like yourself who've you know had the privilege of being non-disabled and then for life to completely switch on you and Mm -hmm. because you've had the two sides and it's like I cannot fathom and it's making me emotional because I cannot fathom the mentality that someone has to go through to bring themselves from where they were to to what they have now like Mm -hmm. that to me I I can't say anything because I don't know how I would cope like if I even would so for me to be I feel like it's I guess it's just a personal opinion but I feel like I've kind of had it easy well not easy but I've grown into it whereas to have something so tragic happen and to continue on is baffles me do you know what I mean um yeah like but I think yeah for me it was difficult because uh like my childhood I didn't have the representation there like I didn't have anything to tell me oh you're gonna be this you 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 know it was all like even Mark I couldn't even like compare or say like oh I'm this superhero or I'm this princess because they were like never me Mm -hmm. and it's like obviously I would as a kid I'd be like oh she's me or whatever but deep down within me I couldn't say that because I was like yeah but she's not in a wheelchair like she she can walk so how how is she me and then does that make me like does that make me unworthy or not good enough because I'm not being represented does that make sense it does and I've never thought about that before like that, yeah. that makes perfect sense and this is maybe something we need to speak about offline later because i've had an idea what i'm pursuing when it comes to children's books and my situation yeah. but we can talk yeah. about that later please continue yeah um and i always say this mark like how can you be what you cannot see and that's literally like why i had to go through like how, how can i think of being something or someone if i've never seen me or people like me out there being an athlete, being this, being in cartoons, being with other kids, like my childhood slash womanhood has never been represented. I've never been with everyone else. I've always been excluded. And that takes immense mental, spiritual strength, any, you know, all types of strength to go against that and be like, okay, I haven't seen that, but representation isn't there but I still will be it. I, I will I will make that representation. I will be the representation for the other younger girls who are like me, who are still going to be like me and don't have it out there. I will be there for them to see that I've achieved it and I've done it so you can as well because mm-hmm. I, I know the, the pain and, and the suffering of not seeing what you can be. So I, want, I don't want anyone to ever go through that. So I've become the representation. I've become my own campaign, my own self-love, my own self-acceptance to to allow younger girls, men, children, whatever, who have disabilities to know that 
you still can be just as successful and you don't have to let your disability define you. Society might not want to or is scared to admit that one day they might themselves might have to be in a wheelchair due to old age. Or mm -hmm. I think it's something that society really tries to run away with. But at the end of the day, Mark, we all know that disability can happen to anyone and you you more than anyone, just a, mm -hmm. just a click of a, a second and your life can be changed. So we shouldn't be running away from it. And it should be something that we make society so much more inclusive, accessible to those who even invisible disabilities are a thing they exist mm -hmm. and people that we don't see you know can't see them physically they with their disability they struggle and it needs to be accessible and inclusive to everybody um yeah yeah I, th I think we're we're making progress as a society with that but it it's still a little bit and this is just me nitpicking now but if you do go into somewhere like Plymouth City Centre like the paving is it's, it's horrendous, isn't it? You know, like the the it's like, I don't know what they did when they they laid the the paving in the city. But it does this in places, and you, I'm walking. I walk around like this, like on a roller coaster, trying to get from one place, and it's all up here at one point. And then it's that. It's like you just need to kind of like make it a little bit easier going for because there are people like I try, I never really thought about people who would struggle around on crutches. You know, because I imagine that took a mass amount of energy as well, upper body strength. You just don't need it. Do you? you just want everything to be flat, tarmac and smooth everywhere you go yeah. um, in an ideal world. But I'm sure they could make a, a few adjustments to make it a little bit easier, you know, to get around. But when this, this is interesting, actually, I know you said twice now that you have become the hero of your own story. But when you were mm -hmm. smaller... And you were looking at the Disney princesses, you know, and like, well, where's the one in the wheelchair? Well, who, if there wasn't anyone to look up to that you recognized as similar to yourself, who did you look up to before you decided, actually, I'm going to be my own hero? Was there anyone growing up that really stood out to you as a strong role model? Honestly, I, I don't think there was, you know, I couldn't relate to anybody out there mm. and that made it very very hard to find a, a role model and that's why like when I said to you at the start I, I it's become something within me that I choose not to idolize or you know see someone put someone on a pedestal because I never got that from the beginning so it, it must be you know some psychological thing going on there but I think you know it I couldn't I couldn't see anyone so for me it was very hard to find inspiration in other people I think once I got into sport and like David Weir um and and mm. things like that that people like that you know within the sport and ha have inspired me to to achieve um but I think you know growing up no I you know I, I, this sounds really soppy but my mum's always inspired me and mm -hmm. um, she's she's my inspiration so I've I've always looked up to her um, yeah, I feel like she was the only person that I could really go to and, and get advice from. And she's, she, the reason why, you know, I am the woman that I am today. I see a gap in the market here for a new superhero, a new comic book <laughs> with you as the main <laughs> character, either. I would love that. This, these are some of the, 
I've, I've always got loads of projects on the go and this is one that I'd really want to do. I, I, I thought about this a while ago where, and, and I, I guess selfishly, I was just thinking about myself, but I thought I could tell my story in, in like a series of kids books, right? Where, you know, not the graphic version, but I'm on the back of the, the helicopter and I'm getting saved and where they originally, where they put in like saline solution to give me fluids, maybe they accidentally put in a super secret government Captain America style formula and give me superpowers right on the back of this helicopter and get issued my prosthetics. And all of a sudden I can, I've got super strength and speed and I can time travel. And I thought to myself, like what going, when I was going through school, you know, I was quite fat. There was this turning point where someone said something to me when I was about 12 and I started figuring out how to work out and to get fit. So I can like Mm -hmm. time travel back to myself when I went through that bad period and do a whole book about why you shouldn't bully people. Then I I pick a time in my life where I completely failed and fell flat on my face and thought that was the end of life. And then do another book about why failure isn't a bad thing. And it's all part of a journey, you know, create this series of books for children to read what teach them lessons, what are perceived as negative, like disability, failure, whatever it is and we're like actually here's a different perspective on it because this is what actually happened to me in my life but we, you've dressed it all up like a cartoon and a superhero book and yeah. it gives them a different perspective i think that absolutely you can do this with all the stories that you would have had growing up you you write them down you know get someone to draw you as a as a superhero cartoon and then just start putting out content and books and pushing it out to young girls now that are 10 12 15 years behind you young girls growing up who need what you needed you know someone I I read a quote once it said be the kind of person that you needed when you were growing up do you know what I mean and you're saying you didn't have that person you had your mum but you didn't have that superhero comic cartoon whatever it was you know be that person for the next girl or the next boy that goes through everything that you've been through growing up I I think I I get so excited like talking about it and if if I had, I'm always searching for the right people to bring into the team to to make these things happen. But absolutely, you know, this is this is on my list of projects for the future, and I'm absolutely going to stay in touch. And you know, we could create something pretty absolutely. cool here. Absolutely, it's a pleasure. Now, here's what I'm interested in. This is what I touched on a, a little bit earlier. You know, I said I was lucky that I had a regular childhood and I was able to go into the career that I want to go into. So when you were getting to 15, 16, you know, coming towards the end of school and everyone's running around going, I want to be a doctor. I'm going to be a nurse. I'm going to be a pilot. You know, I imagine you were sat there like, well, what can I do? Do you know what I mean? I, I, I would love to do that, what you guys are doing, but I can't. Where, where were you at then? I mean, what were, you, what were your hopes and dreams and aspirations for a career once you left school? Did you want to go into uni and carry on education or did you just want to get out there and make your mark? Ever since I was a kid, I had the same goal, the same dream. And this is so, it's so sad, but it's sweet at the same time. And it was, I wanted to be a surgeon. I wanted to be a doctor to make mm-hmm. myself better. Uh, okay that was that was that's all I can remember is I wanted to be a doctor and I made myself watch all these surgeries and going on and all this blood and gore because I was like that's what I need to do to make myself be able to walk I Mm -hmm. need to fix myself for Mm -hmm. the world and 
that's what I wanted to do. And as I got older, you know, being a doctor isn't smooth sailing, is it? You have to be, you know, all these amazing grades and uni and all years and years of studies um, and studying. And it's, as I got older and my, uh, like, Mark, this is so, mm, so like, in order for me to explain this to you, I have to, I have to dig deeper. And I didn't get the education that I feel I deserved. Okay. And nobody really knows this, but what better way to do this than on Mark, um, on Rod's podcast. But so basically, because me and my family, um, you know, I, I wasn't born in the UK. I'm, I came all the way from the Middle East, from, from Yemen. And we moved to the UK back in 2004 mm-hmm. and being a, you know a child with a disability the ableism started f- from then and it was the fact that the the adults around me had you know had judged that well she's she's got a disability that means she's mentally disabled and this is mm. this is the other thing that I want to do is what I want to do is because just because I'm physically disabled or have a disability I don't it does not mean that I'm going to be mentally impaired do you mm-hmm. know what I mean like it's just the impairment is in my in my legs and this is one huge huge uh, preconceived notion in in disability is that you're going to be affected overall uh, and for that reason I was straight away put into a special needs school wow a, a school that was mostly for the um you know, um, people with uh, like learning mental impairment, learning yeah. difficulties, and I don't, I don't have a learning difficulty. Like it's just, it's just in my legs. And I spent six years of my most fundamental, you know, years of where a child needs to be building up that foundation in order to, you know, get the education and to go on to be a doctor or a lawyer or mm. whatever. But because I was there and I didn't speak English, the only thing I did pick up was to, to, the, to speak the English language. And that, you know, it showed how good I was at doing it. I picked it up in six months, wow. like, literally flu- fluent. And I was a quiet kid and I, w- I would just sit there listening to the teachers, li- listening to the teaching assistants speaking. And I would gain all this information and eventually speak English. And when it came to the education it's not like primary schools you know it's it's very different it's very different and I you know long story short I think if I was given the opportunity like every other like my siblings like every other child to go into a mainstream school to learn the same way everyone does in the way that my brain deserved you know my my intelligence deserved then I I truly believe I could have been I don't want to say I could have been something or someone because I know I am, mm-hmm. but I feel like I could have followed the academic path that I had for myself, but because I didn't and I ended up going straight into, um, you know, a secondary school, imagine it go, going from not learning the basics to jumping into straight to secondary, having to go through years eight, like I started year eight up to year 11, school was 
the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. And I, when people used to say, oh, you'll go out, you, you know, you'll leave school and you'll want to be back. I was like, I will never <laughs> want to be back at school. And I still don't want to be back at school because no. I didn't have the fundamental education, the, the basics to help me throughout my maths. My, I, I passed my English because I'm so good at, you know, obviously my great English skills, but um, everything else, I, I, I didn't get the grades I wanted. And that really had affected me in my adulthood. Um, and it, it really did make me feel so belittled in a way, right. because I, I wasn't given the, the chance to, to achieve in, in my academic um, career, but it is what it is. And I can't sit there and dwell on it. Um, it's made me who I am today. And I think, you know, uh, what I've learned now, Mark, is something that no, you know, academic cert certificate would ever give me. N exactly. No education would, would give me. And uh, that's life. So, yeah. Absolutely. You, yeah, I was going to say that you learned things because of your situation that lots of other children will never learn. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not disrespecting the school system, but I don't remember the last time I ever used Pythagoras's theorem or recited Shakespeare <laughs> in the park. Don't remember yeah, it. Literally. It would have been really handy if they taught me public speaking, accounting, financing, personal development. You know, those are all, you know, personal development is something that you've probably yeah. unconsciously smashed throughout your entire life. And no one teaches Absolutely. you that you have to take it on board yeah. yourself and you have to take responsibility to teach yourself about things like that, you know, and, you, and you've done that. But what I was going to say is you're only 22 years old. Do you know what I mean? I mean, have you ever thought about going back and trying again? You're still so young. Yeah, like I, people always say that it's still so young, but, but I feel like with everything that I've been through in my life, it's aged me internally. Like oh I literally feel, I feel so old just because of everything I've been no, through. Not like, old, wise, wise. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's the right word. No, absolutely. I think with with what the story I've just told you, I've been so traumatized to the point that thinking of of going back gives me anxiety it freaks me out just because of the experiences that I had that the sitting in class with the teaching assistant you know being expected to get something just because I've been taught it then but that they forgot you know or they weren't aware that I hadn't learned it in in primary school or I haven't had the the basics to help me you know achieve what I'm the advanced part of learning so I, had, I spent a lot of time being absolutely traumatized in school where I felt inadequate. I just couldn't feel like everyone else. And it was really scary for me. So like now I feel like I'm so traumatized to the point that it just all rushes back. But I think it's something within myself that I'm now starting to be like, you can't cling on to that. You can't just, you know, not, not try just because of what you've been through. Yes, it's been absolutely, absolutely traumatizing, and it's made me go throughout life thinking, you know, it's something I can't achieve. But I think going back to myself and, you know, thinking, okay, you know, take it step by step, 
slowly and like you said yeah I guess I am still young and what better time to start than now um and it's just going back to the basics I guess and but it's, it, nobody wants it do they nobody wants to go back to what I feel like I should have learned years ago like at being 22 it's like mm, um it's not easy but it's it's got to be done I guess but do you want to get to 40 and then think about you know, I have that part of your life where you're like, oh, I wish I did it when I was 22. You know, I've got a friend, uh, Jenny. She was on the Invictus Games to me. She's a wheelchair user. She's an anesthetist. Now, I don't know her entire back. She's a, a doctor and she works oh, with wow. anesthetic from a wheelchair. She, she's, you know, when you go into surgery and you get yeah. the drugs and you get knocked out. So she, that's what she does. Um, I don't know her entire backstory, whether that's what she did before she was in a wheelchair or what, but I know she does it now as a wheelchair user. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you could absolutely have some very empowering conversations with her and get a lot of, um, a lot of her experiences and feedback, you know, mm -hmm. and, and see what, see what challenges she faced doing that. You know, she's, she's phenomenal. Sounds incredible. Yeah. Wow. So what did happen then when you came to the end of school? Did you, did you have a, a career path or were you just seeing what came along, what happened, or did you just like have no idea what was going to happen? Because <laughs> you're so successful now is my point. Is um, <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out piece by piece how you've got to where you are now. And it's only a short yeah. space of time between 16 and 22. I, yeah, I guess that's true. And I think I've, I've just given you a whole, like my life story answer for that, but your question was what I wanted to be and I think because because that was the story and that was the limitation to me achieving um and it you know every time I tried to choose a path I was like oh, but you haven't got the grades you haven't got the grades you haven't got the grades and it was really difficult for me and it it, it was it just even until now you know like not having obviously for that reason not having the grades that you know I would have wanted I'm like having to always find like alternatives to to how to do this or oh I'm gonna have to have a complete career change or if I mean if I really say I want to be a lawyer and I truly and genuinely dedicated my life to it and I and I wanted to read study books for years and years and years and, and 10 years of study I would do it like, there is nothing that you cannot do anything you set your mind to you will achieve mm -hmm. but I think for me I don't have that mentality I, I don't want to sit there and, and study like it's just because maybe it was because of the way that I was you know started it hasn't given me that resilience in, in studying so I think for me and like you said what why how have I got to where I want to be I think because it's not been anything academically it's literally been my own blood sweat tears trauma it's it's just been me pushing through life and its challenges and overcoming and adapting and and fighting had this battle of life and really getting comfortable with being uncomfortable mm -hmm. being beyond my comfort zone I'm always putting myself out of my comfort zone and that's given me what I have now I think you will never grow if you stay in that comfort zone that way you feel comfortable safe you won't grow you have to step out of that and I 
naturally I think through everything I've been through now I live in that outside of my comfort zone I just live in it because I know that growth will come out of it mm-hmm. even if it tests me and, and and it's something I don't want to do it it just I've seen the results of what it it, it you know translates to and here here is the the end product I guess and I think this is where you have an advantage right because I think about this quite a lot I think again I'm not disrespecting the, the school system or anything but most people are conditioned you know to live in their comfort zone and you go to school and you know they, they you're in this environment and you're comfortable you're happy with it and you're taught these things which effectively teach you to be a good follower right so you know you will do this you will do that if you don't pass this test you're dumb if you can't hit this grade yeah. you're an idiot yeah. they it teach you to be a good follower a good employee a good yes man if you like right but Absolutely. very few people at a young age push outside of that comfort zone and figure out about resilience and stuff like that do you know what i mean because everything especially nowadays you know i'm, I'm not i'm not going to go too too deep down this rabbit hole but there everything now you know here's my point right i i've got a i'm on a facebook page called we love plymouth right and someone posted a picture the other day from 1954 and there was a lady with 13 children she was 33 years old 13 kids right in one house and she was out on the lawn with a watering can showering them all and i just think that's amazing like the resilience the creativity the ingenuity of of that person to do that they didn't have switches or xboxes or netflix or anything but how do you entertain 13 kids on a daily basis you know you're constantly outside your comfort zone and and growing and learning and adapting you know so i I imagine while you were you were growing up you didn't realize it pretty similar to me in my early recovery i didn't realize it either but you're constantly building resilience and you're constantly growing because you are outside your comfort zone and there's not a lot you can do about it. You don't really have a lot of choice. You have to exactly. do it. You have to. That's it. And That's it. I'm a big believer that human beings are their happiest when they're growing, when they're moving forward, when they're evolving, when they're, they're doing the things they're passionate about and they can see progress. It's like, like you know, we're going to come on to this in a minute, but your wheelchair racing, you know, getting your PBs better, 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 your nutrition, dialing that in, dialing in your S&C training, whatever it is, you see mm-hmm. progress, you see growth. Mm-hmm. And then you go home at the end of the week, you're exhausted, but you're exhilarated because you know you're getting better, you know? Yeah. So when talking about sport, when did this come along? And I don't know if you've had this experience, right? But back in the early days of my recovery, whenever I would meet someone new, it was like always like within 60 seconds, someone would say, so when are you training for the Paralympics? Like it was the prerequisite of being disabled. Like I have to be a Paralympian. I'm like, I've got so many other goals. That's not even on my radar. And it was for years, it was like, when are you doing a Paralympian? And I'm like, never, ever, ever. I'm never going to do it, right? I don't want to do it. But I do understand from the Invictus Games, from working out, from what I do now with things like jujitsu, the absolute power of sport in your recovery, physically and mentally, so when did when did you discover that? Oh, sport. Where do I begin with sport? I... At the beginning. 
right right at the start i think sport was what saved me because this this would be advocacy all of that mark i've that's only been in the past year and a half sport has been in my blood it's been i've been in sport for 10 years it is the making of who i am mm-hmm. and sport was there to save me when i felt like i couldn't be saved i think when i left i mean i i did sport well i you know just as i was leaving school um and i it gave me a sense of being like everyone else I, i always say that because that's what it was about for me i wanted to be like everyone else and now i the last thing I want to be is like everyone else. Like I've completely detached myself from society, from its expectations. I am my own person. And I think the power, the empowerment wheelchair racing gave me was the fact that I could get in my chair, strap myself in, get on the track, head down. And I felt like everyone else. I felt like I was doing whatever everyone else was doing. They were running. I was running in my own unique way. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the track was there to listen to me when no one was. All my life problems, all my issues, a day after school where I had a really shitty day, I, all I would do is get on the track. And it was kind of like letting my emotions out on the track. It, it's a, it's a connection I can't express, but I think an athlete, anyone who's been in sport would understand. Mm-hmm. And sport listened to me, that the athletics track listened to me. So I spent my time, you know, getting all that anger, that frustration, just with training, 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 just keeping my head down, mouth shut, and I would just train. And with that, sport has given me things that, I would have never, you know, gained anywhere else. It's given me, it's given me determination. It's given me persistence. It's given me commitment. It's these things that I can take on to, in life. I can be, you know, persevere. Like it's given me so many qualities and all of those qualities I'm now using in my daily life and my advocacy and in living purely from sport. And those mm-hmm. are what I've gained. And it gave me a sense of normality back then, um, but now I, you know, I, I, I've interpreted it to being unique and and being strong. Um, and again, it it made me kind of tell the world that yes, I am capable. You you view someone with a disability as bedridden or completely in incapable, an advocate of life, and I've been able to take on sport and completely changed my life with it. I mm-hmm. think with, with my depression and, and my years of just eating myself into my wheelchair, I, that's literally what I did, especially when I got older and started to understand the world. I'd eat myself into my wheelchair, I've, I'd gain weight. And obviously being you know, a wheelchair user, it makes it difficult. So it was my savior to, you know, to avoid the heart diseases, all these, health problems on top of disability that I would have gained and as soon as I got in the wheelchair you know I push and and in itself you lose weight like you don't even have I didn't even I was really bad with my eating and once I started doing sport you know you start to see the weight fall off you 
it, it then becomes an addiction it becomes a habit of mm-hmm. you see change and you just you just want more it's like you just need need another dose and as I got older matured and really got serious into really high level of competition with the Olympic you know Paralympics being in sight for me you know you you start to adapt and you adapt your life to to your sport and to how you should be as an athlete and but then again it's like you said people have this perception that oh disabled person in sport yeah you'll be in the Paralympics I mean I remember when I went to the 2012 Paralympic Games and I was on my crutches back then and I was walking up the stadium on my crutches and I'd had I'd have these people behind me going we want to see you there next at the next ones it's you and back then I I didn't want to and I was like what I don't want to be there like what why do I have to be in the Paralympics just because I'm I have a disability and I think that's the harmful stereotype and, and the stigma around disability where you cannot be in sport or you can't you can't just be in sport to do fitness or to for yourself for your own health benefit but to just to, to achieve Paralympics and that's so damaging because so many people with, with disabilities want to just do it for fitness and and to feel better they don't want to be a Paralympian and they don't yeah. have to be um so yeah it's a little bit condescending really isn't it it's like you're disabled it's your only choice in life is to be a Paralympian it's like well what if I want to become super successful in business what if I want to become an actor what if I want to be a a musician you know because you know I don't have to be able-bodied if I'm a really badass singer and I can still do that so why do I have to and you're right sport everyone should do sport able-bodied disabled doesn't matter because it's so beneficial holistically in life but yeah I used to get a little bit annoyed like I've got more options than that. I don't have to do sport, you know, but sport is great. And I was going to ask you, have you reached that point yet with with sport where you've had the mindset shift and you realized how badass you actually are? And what I mean by that is when I first started thinking about the Invictus Games, I just thought all para sports were like, pity do you know what i mean it's like oh the poor little man with no legs has come up to do swim let's all give him a nice clap well done for doing so well and i couldn't bring myself to it because i'm like i was a royal marine from 18 years old i passed the longest hardest training in the world i've done kickboxing boxing muay thai you know all these things have been a bodyguard and now you're gonna give me a pity clap because i can swim in a straight line for 50 meters i'm not doing it but then when i did it i remember the first time i sat on a rowing machine right training for the games and i had to have a fixed seat and i had my good arm my prosthetic arm and it was a four minute race and my attitude was so arrogant i'm just looking around at me and going i'm gonna smash every single one of these people here because i'm so fit and i actually went blind like the last 30 seconds i went blind like i got tunnel vision everything sparkling in front of me i hadn't hydrated properly and i didn't i underestimated how difficult and hard it was like rowing at full speed for four minutes and then I got off there and I'm like I've looked at this all wrong and then I'd go to my able-bodied people like right sit on this seat you can't move backwards and forwards like on a normal rowing machine and you got one arm four minutes go and then when an able-bodied person's collapsing after three minutes I'm like I'm pretty badass actually if I can do this when I'm swimming with one arm I'm like 
Try swimming one arm. Tie your ankles together. Put one arm behind your back and let's go. Let's see who wins the race. And then you actually yeah. start to think back and actually, I'm a badass, right? Because now we're on mm-hmm. an even playing field, right? You're, you're in my world now. Let's see if you can do it. What you do, that's not that difficult. You know what I mean? If I was able-bodied, I could do that too. But you're coming to my world now, right? And it's, it's mm-hmm. not about pity. It's hard mm. effing work, right? To, to be able to compete with the differences that we have. So have, have, you, have you had that little moment when you've come off the track and had a little smile and gone, yeah, I'm a badass, or is it, is it on the horizon for you? I mean, I've, I've had, like, experiences where people are like, oh, I can't be that, surely it can't be that difficult for oh. you to just, to, and I'm like, really? So I would literally get out of my chair and be like, get in the chair, put the gloves on. Bearing in mind, those gloves, you literally have, this is how they have your fingers. So I know people who are listening won't be able to see, but so it's like you've got your, your pinky. Star and Trek, whatever. Captain Spock. That, <laughs> Live it. long and prosper, yeah. <laughs> And then you literally do a fist and yeah. you push the the rims with your knuckles. So okay. the first what the, the first thing that people uh, have a misconception of is that you get in a racing chair and you grip as if you were to do in your day day chair. But right. it's actually you you punch the rims with your knuckles. And that that's the first part. And then it's literally carrying your own body weight and the chairs to carry wow. you around 400 meters of, of the track yeah they get in there and they can't finish one 100 meters uh, without going i can't breathe i can't do it and i'm like yes. mm, so don't be telling me that it yeah. looks easy because i make it look easy because i'm skilled at it and i've put yeah. the, the hard work but it ain't easy and um yeah so th- when i see those moments and then i see how people genuinely struggle you had the yeah i'm sure you know of them like th- there was days where I'm in the city center by the big screen they'd have days where um they have like rollers and a racing chair and you know and representation of the paralympics people yep. of the public who come and try and they're just there like huffing and puffing like how do i do this and it's like you look at yourself and you think I am a badass. Look, exactly. look at where I am, where I've got. And, and these people are struggling who, who get cocky about thinking that it's easy. And then they, it gives them a new perspective of, of people like us. And it's like, wow, they, they actually have to work hard for it. And yeah, it's, that's and it. Do, do you know what I love thinking about, right? And I geek out on this, right? The, the human body is absolutely amazing right we've got to be the most adaptable people creatures on the planet right but like i said earlier but when it comes to walking people take it for granted and it's no effort from right so a lot of people just go through their day-to-day life and they'll walk around if they got to use their upper body for something they'll they'll use it but they just live again we're talking about comfort zones they'll live within that comfort zone but then when you put them in a racing wheelchair and you're like okay you've got to use your upper body now but in a way that you are not comfortable with that you don't do normally, yeah. let's see how you yeah. do. And they get off and yeah. they're like, damn. And then you think to yourself, look how much I've adapted. Like, yeah, I've got the yeah. situation where my legs don't work right, but look how I, I'm using my body way more to its potential than anybody else around me is. Cause I have to adapt because of my disability. And that yeah. Yeah. As, as nerdy as it sounds is what gets me excited. This is why I love Absolutely. things like, 
Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You know, yeah. it's like I can choke someone with my shoulder, right? And I can use my little stump to make someone uncomfortable. And I use the, the parts of my body, what at one point I thought were useless, are actually extremely useful, right? And then this is it's a mindset shift. So yeah, I, I love that. I love challenging the able-bodied. I'm like, okay, you have a go. Let's go. Let's see how you can do. And they've never had to yeah. do it before. Then they understand. They get a little bit of an understanding of how difficult it actually is. You know, I, I'd, I'd love it if you could, like when you're on your crutches, if you could mm-hmm. replicate that for an able-bodied person to experience and go, okay, let's go shopping for the day. We're going in town. Come on, let's go. I'll be in my wheelchair. You could take these crutches and this is what it's like. For- <laughs> Just watch them sweating yeah. and breathing heavy and getting agitated and angry and being like and snapping with everyone. And it's like, well, this is what it's like for me every day, right? Now you're getting and a little bit of a taste. Absolutely, Mark. And for, for them, they can they can have a hissy fit, throw it and get back to normal. We don't have that bloody option. We right. don't. Mm-hmm. We, we have to keep it going. We have to keep adjusting and adapting because we have no other option but to perform to proceed with it you know like that's that's it like people forget their privileges they forget you know the, the fact that okay you're trying this out and you, if you find a discomfort you can m- move on we don't we have to live in that discomfort and and make something of it do, do you know another thing i geek out on and it, it's obviously never going to happen but i think to myself now with all the things that i've learned and i've been through if i woke up tomorrow morning and was able-bodied again I'd be like next level, like a, a backflipping ninja, super athlete, you know, just because of what you've been through and you've figured out how to adapt. If you gave me my legs and my arm back, I'd feel like a superhero. Like I'd be able to do so much stuff more than I would, would before. It's crazy. And I just think I wish more people would look at their bodies. Like you see these people, you know, these ones that run through the park and flip off the rooftops and, and, the parkour yeah. or the, the calisthenic yeah. people that can do all these crazy muscle ups and stuff and move their bodies, <laughs> you know, in the parks and the pull-up bars, yeah. those guys are, yeah. are they're awesome. That, yeah, that's yeah. Using your body to its potential. Do you know what I mean? And, and I love that. I anyway, know I've gone way off track here, way off track, but let's get back on to target. Um, so yeah, sport, you know, how empowering that was. So where are you at with it? I mean, Club level, national level, world level, what's the dream? So at the minute, I I was a strong believer in nothing's gonna get in the way of my sport. Like I'm so committed, you know, I've done it for 10 years, like nothing nothing's gonna get in the way. And in 2017 is where I stopped competing you know just doing it competitively and that that was due to athlete depression Mm -hmm. that I had um I had major major obstacles in sport as as any sports um, woman or man would have um that's just part of sport you get these obstacles and mental setbacks and it was that alongside my um literal just meltdown my mental breakdown just it all collapsed on on each other and I had lost the love just just like that 
couldn't get in the chair, couldn't see it, didn't want to, the thought of the track would make me sick. Like it was, it was absolutely insane what happened to me. And I was in the process of adulthood, you know, I was learning to drive, you know, thinking about getting my license and where I want to be in life. Like what, what path am I going down? And, and trying to adapt to my disability and finding that love and not finding it. and everything just got too much. And I just physically couldn't continue with sport. It wasn't, it wasn't doing what it normally did. It wasn't getting me out. And, and it was this time it was on me for me to get myself out. So, so my wheelchair racing had to take a step back, you know, seat, a back seat. I had to figure out what I wanted to do, who I am, what's going on. And I, you know, now I've, so I've changed it from competing to just keeping up the fitness, just training for, for myself, for me, because it's in my blood. I don't, even if I was to ever, uh, you know, retire or give up, or I don't want to say the word give up, but, you know, sometimes you just don't want to go back. And mm -hmm. if I was to ever do that, I would never not train, you know, the racing chair is always going to be a part of me. I'm, I will always get in my chair and go out for a push. Mm -hmm. And that's for my mental state, for my physical health. It's just part of me. And I'm now in a place where now that I've, I'm in the best place I could ever be in mentally, physically, spiritually, everything. And I'm thinking, so it's, do I want to go back, you know, competing is, is a passion I, I love being on the start line the sound of the gun like it just thrills me and it still does till this day and it's just thinking whether because there's, there's so many um so many issues and things in sport like at the, at the level that I was competing at that yeah I don't want to go into um because they are they are the you know the the committees and stuff like that just big big stuff and I you know I don't want to be disrespecting or chatting a load of rubbish about anyone or you know putting dirt on anyone's name and it's just sport at my level is very difficult because I'm not sure if you know but like so in wheelchair racing I'm a T54 and that is for wheelchair racing that's at the top that those are like your David Weir's your we always used to call it the almost able-bodied because it's like you have full control of your whole upper body your trunk is in place you can move it and it's just your lower legs and that is the it, it that category is the hardest category because that's where the world record setters are that's where Tatiana McFadden those big names that the big world record holders and that someone like me who is in that category that's who I compete up with. That's that's who I have to be up against. And I think the biggest thing, Mark, is when people think you're in the sport, and especially Paralympic sport, they're like, oh, you can do it. You can do it, you know. And I think there's a, a massive misconception that Paralympic sport is easier for some way, just because it's not able-bodied, that it's easier to, to get into. And anyone that gets into Paralympic sport can make it to the Paralympics. That's so wrong because there's still, t uh, you know, um, categories. There's still, um, what is it, times that you have to reach and, and 
classifications and all this and qualifications to reach and people forget that and they think oh you're you know you have a disability you can make it and it's like yeah but you're you don't know the ins and outs you don't know who I'm up against who I have to be who I have to be even close to time-wise to get into the world or the champ you know world championships the Paralympics it is really not that simple and with my uh you know category of disability it makes it almost impossible mm-hmm. it's, it's not because it's done and it, and, it, and it can be achieved but it's not as the, the lower your um disability is the category so if I was like a t51 or whatever the the less competition there is but because of my category and my level of strength there's a huge amount of competitors that I have to be up against and that played on my mind and it was like you know because the Paralympics was in my like in my head I was like that's what I want to achieve but once you really get to see where you want to be and where you are it really affects you because you're like how can I do you Mm. know what I mean and that's when the athlete mentality kicks in and it's like you have to do it like if you want it you got it like you'll achieve it but I think that's where I lost my self-confidence my self-esteem and obviously with the rules and regulations and and the way things work in sport it kind of like puts you off yeah I, I I I think we're on the same page here and and I couldn't understand so at the Invictus Games you know, I would swim against a guy who had two arms and I'm like, why are we in the same race? The dude's got two arms. He's obviously going to be a lot faster than I am unless he sinks. And in rowing, you know, I might row against another triple amputee, but he could have both of his knees and his elbow, which means that effectively he's pulling with four points of, of, of strength. Whereas I only have one, I have one elbow. I don't have any knees. Yeah don't have an elbow on this side so i'm like why are we even in the same race and you look at the the paralympics and you see some you see the some of the cyclists right so there's maybe one that's got one leg and they're racing against someone who hasn't got a hand but it's got two legs and i'm like that doesn't make any sense to me what is having one hand got to do with pedaling a bike surely there should be a and but i get it that if you just niche down every single classification you have thousands of them but yeah that's one of the main things that put me off it's like like i think we're saying the same thing we're at the higher end of the disability spectrum, right? So it's yeah. it's the hot it's the hardest thing for us to go against. But there could be people in our classification yeah. who, on paper, are in our classification, but in reality, their disability is a lot less. So and he, and here's another perfect example. And I know the Invictus Games isn't the Paralympics, but I watched some of my friends who had both their legs missing above the knee mm-hmm. running against guys who had knee injuries so they had their knees taped up but they had their legs both their arms and they were in the same classification and i'm like that makes no sense this guy's got both his legs but he's got injured knees this guy's got no legs and they're racing each other so i just kind of looked at it straight away and i was like this is something i would have to dedicate my entire life to every waking second to get to the biggest stage of all to compete against people that have got massive advantages over me. And why would I do that? And then I just started thinking, and, and this is maybe a bit rude, but I thought, well, what do all these people do once they've won bronze, silver and gold medals anyway? They go on to become public speakers. And I already do that. So I've jumped the queue 10 years. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Without the heartache of waking up at four o'clock every day and eating fish and rice for everything. 
I've already just jumped ahead. Do you know what I mean? I don't have to meddle. <laughs> okay, but you know, I can still write a book. I can still be a speaker. I can still do what they do after their careers are over. I just don't have all the heartache, you know? And I think speaking Absolutely. is something that should be on your radar. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Getting out there on stage, yeah. telling your story, inspiring people. Um, yeah. You know, just try, you get to travel a lot. It's very well paid. You know, it's a nice experience. Um, definitely you should consider that. Yeah. So the last thing I want to talk about I think is where you're at now. You know, you, you, I don't know what the correct term is. Is it beauty therapist, makeup artist? Um, I don't know what. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's so beautician, you know, someone who does the whole thing like all together. Whereas I, and I did, I studied hair, makeup and nails. Um, so I am a beautician, but I think makeup is my passion you know and okay. there's, there's a whole other story with makeup because I used it as a mask to cover up try to cover up my disability so makeup is my passion uh, aside from the other stuff that I've done with beauty but yeah like I'm just a makeup artist. I think I'm just a makeup artist. I am a beautician but I like to go by makeup artist because it's what I'm best at okay and is where where are you at with that I mean this, what I love about this day and age, right? And I tell my kids this all the yeah. time without trying to give them some sort of, um, without misguiding them. But yeah. I believe, going back to what we said about earlier, about being passionate about things, that you can have a career doing any, nowadays, doing anything you're passionate about, right? Like literally, if you love making jam, right? and you start a YouTube channel and an Instagram account and you, you do it right. And you reach out to enough other people that love jam and you make videos yeah. about the different way and you get enough subscribers, enough likes, you monetize your channel. You can earn more money than most employed people can. And I just look at yeah. the, the gamers that my son watches that play Minecraft and, or, and, and they're, they're buying. I saw one the other day, he bought like 20 houses and sold them for a dollar. So this guy's making serious money playing computer games online. But with things like beauty, that's one of the, one of the um, uh, demographics or whatever you want to call it on, on YouTube. There are people that are in a great living doing that. Is that something that you're aspiring to, or is it just something you'd love doing for you? Um, let's talk about that. So I, I never wanted to get into the beauty industry because I, I was, I fell into the trap of the, the girls who do makeup and hair and that other dumb girls. So okay. I fought so hard to, to not be under that stereotype. Mm -hmm. And once I studied it, you know, the science behind it, that there's so much work, you have to be so brainy. I had, you know, that stereotype is, rubbish mm -hmm. because whew, you have to be almost a scientist a scientist to to know your stuff you know you, you study the face the bonal structures there's so much that goes into it and for people that say that are uneducated to, to put it point blank and I think I didn't want to do I didn't want to do beauty because everybody does it okay. <laughs> and I, I know that's just like a you know if I want to do it I want to do it but I think I want I've always been original. I've always thought, do more. You know, my mum brought me up to have to be louder 
stronger. Do you know what I mean? Like I had to always be extra than everyone else just to be seen. Mm-hmm. And to do anything that everybody else did, didn't, it was like, yeah, but that's not how I'm going to be seen. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to be heard, which is why I think falling into the disability advocacy is perfect for me. And um, with obviously the the discrimination that I've had within the beauty industry where, you know, the issues of inaccessible salons, you know, they're not even accessible for me to be a client, let alone to, to work there. Oh, wow. And literally honestly mark like i'll go in there and it's like again it's like a slap in the face because it's like you don't expect a woman with a disability to want to look beautiful to want to get her hair done her nails done her makeup done like it's so narrow and it's so small working there i would have to there's not enough space for my arms to blow dry and and all do all this and move around and maneuver and it's like it's not accommodating for me to be either a customer or a client Uh, that's the same thing or a worker and it's like that very quickly shut me down from the beauty industry. And I didn't want to do it anyway, but it was just because I was good at it. You know, I do mm-hmm. my makeup like flawlessly. Like that's what I wanted to do because I was like, and the other thing is I wanted to do it because I wanted to give women the the confidence and the the beauty with, you know, from so they've got it within. And I wanted to accentuate that and externally, you know, give them that confidence because I know what it feels like not to be beautiful of course you've got to work on it internally but I think I wanted to give women the confidence um and it it sucks that it didn't work out just because of you know the workplace never really accommodating and it's really you know um excluding people like myself so I I don't I don't see myself doing anything in the beauty um, industry if I'm being clearly honest like I don't I don't want to go back into it um and it's just finding because I'm still I don't know like where I want to be like I know where I want to be and what I want to do with the advocacy but a lot of the time I'm being told you can't make money from it like and yes you've got to be your own campaign and you've got to you know do a lot of things for free and stuff but I think you you get the naysayers and they you know told you're not going to make money out of it you, but I think it's really important to know that there's so many there's companies that don't even care to have disability like um awareness you know included into their companies and stuff like that's how undervalued disability is which is why I understand the ones that say you know you're not going to make an earning of it but I think like you said there's other paths to that you could take on to be a motivational speaker and yeah um i don't know i just i guess it's something that i've got to sit and figure out and find a way you, you could be a motivational speaker you could write books you could get into tv your own podcast mm. radio you know i i make money now it's something i only found out after christmas i've got a facebook supporters page you know and people pay three pound yeah. 49 a month to be part of that group and that creates yeah. an income do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, but someone said this to me a long time ago, and I'm sure it's a real thing, right? But mm-hmm. so bigger companies now, right? Think of like Premier Inn or TGI Fridays or something like that, right? They, because they're so big, they have to be, yeah. I think it's, is it called DDA compliant? Disability Discrimination Act compliant or something? 
So you have to be able to get yeah, in there. Okay. You have to be able to get yes. to the bathroom. There has to be a separate fire exit procedure. So you can almost be a consultant for companies, right? Where you go in in your wheelchair and you spend the day there going around saying that needs fixing because that would be a problem for me if there's a fire. That would need yeah. that needs fixing because that doesn't work for somebody in a wheelchair. And you, you're almost you you're the consultant with the real life experience that brings them up to legislation to meet the yeah. legislation for the business. That I think that is an actual thing you can do. Um, I, I'm someone yeah. someone spoke to me about it years ago because I was going through that phase where I was trying to leave my wheelchair behind to be a full time prosthetic user. It didn't make a lot of sense to me, but. Mm-hmm. Like I say, in this day and age, there is so, you can do anything, right, to earn an income nowadays. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's actually quite exciting when when you do think yeah. about it that all the things that you can do. So, I just thought of another question. Sorry, I know you've had a lot of experiences through your life, and you do the advocacy thing now. But do do you think the negative experiences from that the whole beauty thing? kind of pushed you more to want to do that and increased your passion for it yes 100 percent. yeah absolutely it it's it, it was it was after the time where i was really like oh, i want to have my own salon i want to do this i want to do that within beauty and continuously being shut down like going to rolling up to interviews and just seeing the look on their face when they see that i'm a wheelchair user and you can just see that it's a no you know that our place isn't accommodating to you like just no and it's not even that it's like they genuinely see you as being incapable like it's kind of like what is she going to do like she's going to need so much for us to put in place and they're under the impression that I'm so incapable that there would only be a certain like, like limited amount of stuff that I would be able to achieve without even testing me or, or trialing me or, or seeing just how you know getting over that unconscious bias that they have and just allowing me to almost prove myself which is no one should have to ever do to justify who you are or what you do but I think a lot you know you fall into that role with a disability a lot of the time you're having to constantly tell society yes I can yes I can yes I can watch me and it's like that because that happened and with me just breaking apart because I was just not finding work and I was like all I want to do is earn a living like everyone else I want to have the opportunities just like any other person to go out there do a job that I enjoy and get money from it is that too much to ask for that and with me just not getting you know the chances I it led me to here it led me to okay well, clearly, this world needs education. Clearly, they need to be educated on disability and they need that representation. So th- that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. This is a mindset thing, right? So th- this is the thing, that, this jumps out at me straight away is so obvious, right? So say in an alternative universe, I owned a beauty salon, right? And I was able-bodied and we're in Plymouth, right? And there's a lot of them. Right. And I think they're all very similar. That may be a generalization, but I'm, I'm sure they're all very similar. Right. So what would make you stand out above all those other ones that are kind of the same is if you had 
a disabled, sorry if I get the, the terminology wrong, a disabled beautician, right? Now think of all the disabled people in Plymouth, like you said earlier, that want to feel pretty and look pretty, right? Where do they go? Oh, I know where I'm going to go. The only salon in the city with a disabled beautician that has facilities for disabled people that specialize, you know, in, in working with the disabled. You stand out well above everyone else. You And, yeah. you know, straight away, you know, it's 2021. All the local media, I think, would jump on that and they promote that because it's a good story. It's empowering. It's inclusive. Do you know what I mean? I don't, I don't understand people's backwards mindset of, of being like, oh, oh, I don't know. Sorry, you're in a wheelchair. You know, almost like getting yeah. out the vampire cross and be like, stay back, stay back. I'd be like, yeah, yes, definitely. come in. Let's figure this out. This is like, this is great because no one else is doing this. This is why we're going to be so different to everyone else. But Absolutely. unfortunately, that's not your experience. But may, maybe that could be you. Maybe you could start your own salon. Do you know what I mean? And and that could be what differentiates you from everybody else, you know? Definitely. It was, it was definitely a vision that I, I did have, you know, being someone who, okay, so all these salons, and employers employees and employers whatever like they don't want me and they aren't inclusive to people like myself so how about I make a salon that is accommodating and welcoming to all you know yes. because and the thing is and this goes beyond salons just with you know cam campaigns companies brands and so on they are missing out on so much money by yeah. excluding a huge minority of, of society. Like mm -hmm. that this majority, like this group of us in that minority group that you're excluding because of our disability. So just think how much more money you'd be making if you've, if you actually include us as, mm -hmm. as clients, as customers, as so many things. And it's like, you know, it's their loss at the end of the day to, to exclude such a, you know, huge minority. Um, and I think for me that, that set, that boat has sailed within wanting to, you know, do that. Like, I, I think because I was never passionate enough with, because I did, I felt forced to get into the beauty industry anyway, just because it was something that I'm really good at. And I thought I could make a living out of it, which I did. I, I did my fair share of, um, mobile, um, you know, self-employment where I'd go to a women's house, you know, get them glammed up, nails, hair, makeup, whatever. And I did enjoy it. I just, that, and, and there was a lot of um, behavioral issues, like just just body language of, of them as, as people towards me. And, you know, some, some of them I would feel so unwelcomed. And, and it was just an environment that really put me down a lot of the time and it was like is that really worth it is that is that what I is that what I want and I think if I if I wanted it bad enough I would have um, yeah. made my own salon and and ditched all that but I, di I don't want it bad enough yeah absolutely and if you're not passionate about it we've said that word a million times then it's just hard work and yeah. you know you, you want to do what you're passionate about absolutely. so what is next what's next for you then as you conquer the world yeah. What is next, you know, that who knows what the future holds? And for me, I think it's just 
just continuing to do what I'm what I'm doing you know to keep speaking my story to keep spreading that awareness to keep Mm -hmm. making that change for my community for the disability community and to keep being unapologetically me and Mm. for disability to be seen as something that is so unapologetic you don't have to apologize for it you don't have to be sorry or confined to society's you know what society sees of you and it's I think it's giving the 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 tools to the younger generation to those who want to listen because a lot of people believe me don't want to listen to what I have to say and those people I don't need to worry about it's those who who want and aren't afraid of change Mm -hmm. and I think it's just continuing to 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 fight for for our rights really well we're both close to each other as in we live in the same city so if there's anything that I can do to help you know you know where I am now just let me know I'm certainly not afraid of speaking and I can speak louder than a lot of people <laughs> so uh, you, know, you know I'll do what I can but um Noah thank you so much it's been really interesting talking to you and, and finding out more about your story when the world goes back to normal you know I'm sure we can we can meet up and face to face but Absolutely. Until then, for everyone listening right now, where can they find you uh, online to find out more? Well, so I'm very active on my um, social media platforms. So Instagram being my number one. I also have a, um, so my Instagram is doa.shea and then my Facebook page is doa.shea. Um, and then I also have a YouTube channel where I've, done a little few bits about my life and what it is like to live as, as a woman with a disability in a wheelchair um so again that's Doashea and yeah those are just my my platforms where I can be found all right well once we finished here if you can you send me all the links to that I'll put that all in the show notes and promote it when we push this episode out and uh drive some traffic your way so we can find out more thank you but thank you Thank you so much. This, is, this has been a lot of fun. I've had a great, I just looked at the clock now, hour 35 minutes. This is probably the longest podcast I've ever done. I think um, I usually oh, cap wow, really? an, I usually cap them at an hour and I'm, I'm just like, whoa, we've got, I can like, I carry on talking for ages, but um, you know, I'm it's sure so you've got stuff to do. To it's Honestly, yeah. No, thank you so much. It's, I've, I'm honored to have been able to discuss it all with you. So thank you for giving me the platform, Mark. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. And when we do meet face to face, maybe we can chat about part two. Yes, we'll do it. 100%. All right, Doad. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. I told you it was going to be a good one. I think that is actually the longest podcast that I've ever done. And I could have gone on for another hour easily. Uh, I found... They were so interesting to talk to. You know, we had a lot of things in common and a lot of things that were actually different, which were also very interesting to try and compare. Like when I talked about childhood and growing up disabled and becoming disabled later in life. Just awesome. I I really, really enjoyed that. Um, And I hope you guys did too. Thank you as always for tuning in and listening. Many of you are aware now that I have a Facebook supporters page. I've got 102 supporters on there right now. And that is the reason 
that I'm able to do things like this and create the vlogs and do the fundraising and all that good stuff. So I'm going to put a link to that page in the description below. Please, if you haven't already, click the link, go check it out, see what it's all about. And if you feel it suits you and uh, you'd like to join that private community, please subscribe to the page. Sign up, join up and come into the private No Limits community. Guys, thank you as always for your support. And I look forward to speaking to you again in the next episode of the No Limits podcast. Thank you.